Hey friends, I'm so, so thrilled to be bringing you season three of That's What She Did podcast. That's right, season three of this tiny little podcast that started out as a simple experiment. And here we are with season three. As is our tradition, we are launching during Women's History Month. And this season, I'm bringing you a theme that is unapologetic. Each episode is organized under the umbrella of unapologetic women. These are women unapologetically pursuing whatever lights their fire, both past and present. I'm bringing you stories of these incredible rabble-rousers, truth-tellers, and artists that are lighting fires all over the place, or that history books did not make the appropriate space for. The season is going to be such a good time, and I'm so happy that you're here with me. So buckle up, and let's get started. Hey friends, it's me, Tanji Renee, and you're listening to Season 3, Episode 9 of That's What She Did Podcast. This week, my special guest is Lamanda Ballard. She's the founder and executive director of Flowcode, a nonprofit organization advocating for women's health, women's rights, and providing free access to menstrual products. She's leading, been leading this organization since around 2017, and in that time, she's created a space for 500 volunteers throughout Central Texas to give back over 350,000 menstrual products to the Texas community. She's also an experienced digital marketer and alumni of North Carolina A&T State University. Please check out Lamanda after you listen to this episode. She's mobilizing people across the state of Texas to address the issue of period poverty. So we're about to break down what that means and how she's doing this work. It's really incredible. I hope that you will support her. And as usual, let me know what you think of this episode. If you find value here, all you have to do is give it a share and share it with your friends. Help spread the word. Let them know what's going on. Please keep in mind that season three is very, very nearly at an end. Like, seriously. (laughs) And I need to hear from you guys if you want there to be a season four. I create this show for you. It is listener driven. And if there are women that you want to hear profiled on this show, whether they are still with us or have passed away, I want to know who they are. And you can support this show by getting in touch and letting me know should this show come back for another season. The best way to do that is to either send me a quick email at that's what she did podcast at gmail.com or connect with me on the gram. And the code is going to be not the code. What am I even talking about? (laughs) The handle is the same. That's what she did podcast on Instagram. Drop me a DM or comment on any one of the pictures and let me know, should this show come back for another season? Because after this, we only have one more episode and then we're done. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. Thanks again for listening and being a supporter. Smooches! Welcome, welcome to the show, Lamanda. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for carving some time out of your busy schedule to be here. Yes, ma'am. I'm excited. Thank you. Me too. Um, To give the listeners some context, 
uh, I wanted to quickly talk about how we sort of kind of virtually met. So I was like on Twitter, like I am every day. (laughs) And there was some kind of comment thread and I was reading through the comments and I came across your profile. You said something in the comment where I was like, wait, what is she talking about? And so of course I went to your profile. I saw that you were the uh, founder and executive director of a nonprofit called Flow Code. And immediately I was like, well, Flow Code sounds interesting. So what is that? So I went to that page and, you know, I just kind of went down the social media hole and realized that you're doing something that I think is really interesting and important. And, you know, stories like yours are the exact reason why this show exists. It's to tell the stories of the women out in the world that are doing cool and interesting and important things, but aren't famous and may never be famous. Although I hope you get famous someday. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, might be honestly, I don't know. <laughs> could be, could be. <laughs> so let's get started by just explaining what is Flow Code? What is Flow Code? So Flow Code is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And so what we do is we have these three programs. And so basically it's based on community outreach, it's based on menstrual equity, and it's based on education. And so I guess the bigger question is what does that look like? So for us, community outreach simply means we provide free access to menstrual products to those who are underserved. So that includes women, girls, and trans men uh, within the Texas community. Uh, We also service natural disaster victims. So we service Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria, and Hurricane Florence sending well over 100,000 menstrual products um, to those victims so that way they were able to have access to them and that would be the last thing they had to worry about. We also have an educational program where we allow like local doctors or maybe nurses or people who create menstrual products to come out and have the opportunity to utilize our platform to educate our volunteers on different women health issues. Um, Maybe something as simple as how to use a menstrual cup so that way they can teach that to their daughters. So that way we kind of create a safe space for um, for these our volunteers, so that way they don't have to worry about. Well, next time I go to the OBGYN, I have to ask these questions. Like, no, this is what our community is for. This is what our programs are for, and so this is why we brought you here. And then, of course, the menstrual equity program, which is the last part of the org, um, that allows people to come together with us and advocate for menstrual equity in the state of Texas. Because as of now, there are um, 35 states who don't waive the sales taxes on menstrual ex- on menstrual products. And so our goal is to ensure that we're working with our local um, representatives to push that forward. There's 35 states that don't waive sales taxes on them. Yeah. So is this the pink tax that I keep hearing about? Yes. Okay. The pink tax. So the tax on products that are specifically geared towards women. Yes. And then even something as simple as like diapers, because things like that should also be considered a medical necessity rather than a luxury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely want to talk about the the luxury versus medical necessity issue. Yeah. But before we get there, how did you come into this work? Yeah, so I've always been into philanthropy, like probably since I was maybe eight or nine years old. Um, started out volunteering with like maybe different organizations. And so as I grew older, um, started volunteering like local shelters, maybe community school, communities in schools within the states that I lived in because I traveled coast to coast. Um, and then I came to Texas 
volunteered at this homeless shelter that's located downtown. And so that gave me the opportunity to see that what the need is within that specific facility. Um, talked to one of the directors and one of her biggest complaints was that they never receive enough menstrual products. And so me just thinking like, oh, this is something I can go home and do with a friend. We can get a couple of you know, community service hours and go from there. And that turned into me reaching out to organizations who were already doing the work. Um, so there is Homeless Peer Project, which is located in South Carolina, but they have chapters across the country. I reached out to them, started this chapter in Austin, and we literally blew up from there. Like launched it in March 2017. By September, or yeah, by September 2017, we had already had well over 200 volunteers at wow. our events um, and had already donated over 100,000 products at that time because of Hurricane Harvey. Um, we raised $18,000 within two weeks for those victims. And so we were just continuously going up. And so for them, it was like, wow, like you're huge at this point uh, and you're, you're just as big as we are and we may not be able to manage your organization. So then that's when we decided that, okay, well, I guess I can kind of do my own nonprofit thing. I can kind of start something on my own and make it look the way I want it to look and go back mm-hmm. and make it look Yeah. I mean, nonprofit, founding a nonprofit is, is tough. I've, I've done it in the past. <laughs> used to be a nonprofit. So I definitely much respect to you for taking on that challenge. Um, What is, you know, you're doing a direct service, Mm -hmm. right? Right there in the trenches with people. What's been maybe a, a story or one person in particular that you remember who you've worked with that you've been able to look back and say, this is why this organization exists. This is exactly why we do this work. Yeah, we get stories like that all the time. Um, I think for me, just even most recently, I had an old coworker at one of the companies I used to work for reach out to me on Facebook on my birthday and, and ended up writing me this beautiful story that just telling me how her seeing that I started a nonprofit really influenced her because she grew up as a homeless woman or a homeless girl with her mother. Um, And for her, it's like they knew what that experience was like to have period poverty right in your own community. Um, And so she was just so elated and and filled with so much gratitude that we even started this organization and that we we grew it to to the point where it wasn't just donating to nonprofits. It wasn't just donating to shelters. It wasn't just donating to churches. Like we're actually in the streets passing out these donations. We're connecting with the women, we're connecting with the trans men, and we're connecting with the girls um, in a sense where we want to find out what other resources can we provide to you. So to see that someone else saw our journey from beginning to where we are now, and they were um, just filled with gratitude about it. For me, it was it was, it was satisfying. Mm-hmm. So we think we should explain this idea of period poverty. I sh- well, I shouldn't say idea. That makes it sound like it maybe doesn't exist. This right. <laughs> dynamic of period um, poverty because I I have to tell you it hasn't it's not something that was ever really on my radar except for the last maybe six months um, Uh when I started hearing more about it and talking to women about it and where I was like what wait what do you mean period poverty explain that concept Mm -hmm. to me Um, which you know I think speaks to my own level of privilege where it's not something that is even a thought in my brain yeah. And I think that's probably true for some of our listeners and, and maybe it's not true for them, but for those of, of those of us in the audience who maybe are yeah. not familiar with this concept, what does it mean? 
Yeah. So period poverty simply looks like a woman, a man, or a trans man, a girl who doesn't have access to menstrual products. And so what that looks like in our own communities is the homeless women or the homeless people on the streets. There are girls that are in school that are in low income school areas where they are missing schools because they don't have access to menstrual products. And we always put an emphasis on it's an issue in developing countries. Like, yeah, there was a whole documentary that won an Oscar about it, but people never take the time to look at the lower income areas right in their own community. Um, and so for us, it simply means going in behind whatever the federal government isn't funding and making sure that we were providing that to them. So we partner with organizations like communities and schools who services specifically low income schools in um, any state. Like it, right now we're in Austin, Texas. Um, they service states like North Carolina and uh, Georgia. So you can find a communities and school basically anywhere that you live. And they are the organizations that are partnered with the lower income schools. And so that's how we kind of step in and ensure that our girls aren't missing schools just because you have your period. Like I'm sure that's not the only reason, but that shouldn't be one of the reasons. And so for us, it's ensuring that period poverty doesn't look like someone who simply has to free bleed basically, or has to create a tampon. Um, like I've heard a homeless woman say they made tampons out of socks or they, they took the pads and rolled them up to make a tampon because they know it'll it'll hold better. Um, and they're just stuffing themselves with chemicals. So it's like, we have to do something about it. We have to take a, take, take the time to take a step back, look at your area that you live within, find out what the need is, what they need help with, and then step in. Do you happen to know how many young women or girls or how many people are impacted by this? Um, so we only focus uh, primarily on Central Texas and Denton, Texas at this time because we have ambassadors in both states. But we did just complete the uh, local census. And so we know for sure that there are averaged around 2,000 homeless women within Austin, Texas. Um, we're waiting for community schools to see what their report looks like for the girls that are impacted in the lower income areas. Um, but I know their numbers are well around around 4,000 between elementary school and high school. Wow. So <clears throat> I think, again, until recently, when this issue came on my radar, I was always under the impression that for for girls in school in particular, in public schools, that um, they could just go to the nurse's office, yes, right? and they can. Okay. And they can. But we're the ones that provide them to the nurses. <laughs> okay. See, yeah. So that, that was the connection I was trying to make. I was like, yes. so... <laughs> and, and so I, I think that... Um, Again, it's recently, I just assumed that that was part of the budget for any like middle school or high school because it's, it's a basic need. Right. And I knew that when I was in, in school and I went to public school that if I needed a tampon or whatever, that I could just go to the nurse's Mm -hmm. office and it would be there. I guess we don't think about like as a consumer aspect or just even just people who function on day-to-day like we don't think that oh some of those nurses might be covering their the menstrual products that we use out of their own pockets there are a lot of teachers that do that too where mm-hmm. they'll have a drawer full of them for their students just so they know that they they want to give them that type of access but sometimes depending on the area but nine times out of ten it's not funded at all um communities and schools they specifically work with nonprofits or local organizations to get that type of coverage so that way that they can service over the 70 schools that they provide to within our area. 
That's amazing to me. Um, and I think it, it leads into this conversation of are sanitary products for women a medical necessity or a luxury? And I know you have a lot to say about that topic. So oh, <laughs> I'll yeah. let you lead it. I really hate that it's even a topic of conversation. Like I did a speech after the Women's March last year um, at the Roe versus Wade. And that's all I talked about was why is this considered a medical necessity? Or why isn't it considered a medical necessity? Yet Viagra is intact. That's not a medical necessity. We look at like just all the things that shouldn't be in that category that are. And yet we can't go without diet. Like, Children can't go without diapers. Women can't go, at least at the very least, without a pad. Otherwise, they're, they're stuck with free bleeding, and the free bleeding leads to, oh, you're a feminist. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. Like you, you it's like you're, you're, you're stuck around the stigma of menstruation without anyone from, I would say, the opposite sex advocating to help you. Um, and so I think that's what a lot of us experience just here within Texas, or I guess across the world, like. We literally experience the fact that there are men who see things one-sided, and those are the ones who make the, the decisions. Those are the ones who make the rules. Those are the ones who passes the laws, like waiving sales taxes on menstrual products, um, who only simply see it as, oh, well, that's just a luxury. She doesn't really need it, but she, she wants it. And it's like, okay, but well, what if she doesn't have access to it? What are you going to do about it then? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a constant battle. Well, I think it's a really good point to point out that Something like Viagra, which is not is not a medical necessity. Um, it's well, I guess it could be for a small po- population of men, but vast majority are taking it because they want to. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's covered by health insurance. Exactly. But exactly. my sanitary products are not covered by health insurance, and I can't choose not to have my period if I don't want to. Exactly. It's not optional. And it's so weird because you would think that at the very least, they would consider that that's something that could be covered, like maybe in our HSA, when we, you know, pay for our premiums every month, like create some type of program that's helping us advance versus um, fighting against us when it comes to the idea that if we waive menstrual, uh, if we waive taxes on menstrual products, that this is going to have a negative impact on like maybe our state or our revenue that we bring in like think about the positives that could come out of this i mean there's a whole documentary on why it's necessary and yet no it's like as if they're not listening in the conservative states and i say that because i live in texas Mm -hmm. i mean you see it every day Mm -hmm. i mean it's obvious to me that this is a, a socioeconomic issue which means it's a political issue Maybe you can speak to some of the politics around it. I mean, it when you put it into context of of that, like this is these are policies um, that are these are laws. These people that are governing our states are determining whether or not, first of all, you can tax women just because they're women, mm-hmm. and if something as fundamental as a sanitary napkin or tampon is available medically to women everywhere. (laughs) Um, So maybe you can speak to a little bit of the policy aspects that are happening in your state or what you have knowledge of elsewhere. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I know currently there are 35 states that do not waive those taxes on menstrual products. I mean, 15 states have advanced and moving forward and they see it as this is a medical necessity and we don't need to charge women additional uh, for something that's already expensive. Because let's be honest, like a box of pads and tampons can run you anywhere from seven to twelve dollars, especially if you want to be even more health conscious and go organic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one thing that we're working with, which is a part of our uh, menstrual equity program, is advocating for House Bill 311 here in the state of Texas. And so what that bill would do is waive sales taxes on menstrual products and label them as a medical necessity. So that way women won't have to pay that extra cost or trans men won't have to pay that additional cost. And so the only way that we could really tackle that um, on our end, I mean, we can be a voice and speak about it all day, but we need someone behind the scenes that can speak on our behalf. So we're working with uh, representatives like Donna Howard, uh, John Boosie. And so we've had the opportunity to have sit, sit down with them and have one-on-ones. Um, and use their platform to speak about this issue. And they're the ones that are on the House floor advocating for this bill for us Um, because it's been rejected so many times in Texas. And so we're hoping that this time around, because we have a woman that's on our side, this will be the year that it goes through. Does it feel like there's support building for the bill? Yeah, It it feels like it's in a better space this year than it has been in the past. I'll say that. Um, in the past, it's been rejection after rejection. And this is the first time that it's like, okay, we hear you. Like, we hear you. We understand where you're coming from. Let's weigh out the pros and the cons. So at this point, what do you think the probability is of passing? Because there are so many conservatives in. Uh, I think it's going to take a couple of more tries. I'm going to mm-hmm. be honest. I, I don't think it's guaranteed this year, despite having a woman, despite having... I mean, Donna Howard, she's been hosting, um, she'll host like seminars and she'll host uh, one-on-ones with us here in the community because she really wants to have these conversations, but just her may not be enough, especially to change their minds and and change the narrative. Um, So we just got to keep stepping up and showing out. And now that we have nonprofits like Slowco and we have other nonprofits that are here in the community that do similar work, the the more we speak up, the more that I think we'll get through to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the harsh reality of how a bill becomes a law, right? <laughs> right. You've got to keep fighting for it. Sometimes it takes many, many years. Yep. Yeah, but I think it's been rejected enough that we, as long as we keep pushing within the next three to five years, I think we'll see some type of success moving forward. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, so I want to come back to you specifically mentioned trans people as being impacted by period poverty as well. And again, this is an issue that is much bigger than I think most people who are even thinking about it might initially realize. Um, So what does it mean for a trans person to be impacted by period poverty? Yeah. um, I mean, and I guess we have to think about it in the perspective that the the LGBTQ community also experiences homelessness. They also experience displacement. Um, And so for us, even as a nonprofit, when we first launched, we didn't even think about the narrative that, oh, trans men also have periods. Like we need to include them in our mission statement. So when that was highlighted to us, we knew moving forward that we needed to ensure that they were covered as well. And Mm -hmm. so them experience period poverty is the exact same as women and girls in the community. Um, the main difference that I mean, one of my eboard members highlighted this to me is like 
as a trans man, could you imagine like opening your wrapper in the bathroom and the type of judgment that you may experience? Um, and so like one of the things she wanted to do within our organization is to maybe create a campaign where we can provide them period panties or maybe more menstrual cups where they won't have to worry about like being shamed in public for um, having reproductive organs at this point, like, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, like they, they experience it the same exact way that women and girls experience it. And so for us, it's, it's, we have to ensure that everyone is treated equally in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, again, this was like another aspect of this issue that initially when it, it came onto my radar, I didn't even consider that. Um, yeah. And then somebody said something to me. I was having a conversation with someone and they were like, oh, and trans people. And I was like, wait, oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yes, I was the exact same way. I was like, what do you mean? And then someone broke it down. I'm like, why did I not think of that mm-hmm. before? Like, that should have been a part of the mission when we first launched. And so I'm glad that we had someone to um, like just highlight that for us and let us know that, hey, we know you're covering everybody else, but don't forget about these people over here, too. And so. Yeah, we want to make sure that we keep that relationship. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like to, to just do this work? Because if, if you're providing these products to schools and to shelters and to people who are on the street, does that mean that you're just raising money? Not just raising money. You're taking on the difficult task of raising money to go and buy them retail and then distribute them? That's exactly what that means. Yes. And then sometimes we get lucky, uh, like companies may donate them to us. So we love companies like Kimberly Clark, uh, Kotex, uh, Hospeco, which last summer they donated 25,000 pads and tampons to our org. So we were covered for distribution for the rest of the year. Um, so yeah, it's a matter of the, the moment that we receive monetary or product donations. This is so we created this program that we call like a, a flow party within our community outreach program. So we collect these donations, we store them in a storage unit. And we host a community service event every one to two months. And so what that looks like is us taking pads, tampons, panty liners, uh, individually wrapped wipes, and packaging them together in a quart-sized bag. Mm -hmm. And so we call those bags flow packs. And so taking those flow packs um, and creating them inside, like maybe throwing 50 of them inside of a trash bag. And then that's how we distribute them in the community. So we may take 50 flow packs to uh, a homeless shelter. We may distribute... 100 or 200 within the streets. And so it's just redistribution every time. Um, mm. We get lucky and get big donations every now and then, but the ultimate goal is to always ensure that we have at minimum um, maybe a thousand flow packs per event. So that way we can at least know that we're covering all the organizations and schools and shelters on our list. Yeah, that's tough. That's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking like just the logistics of like, forget about like, let's not even talk about the, the work it takes to raise money and to gather donations and build those relationships to even make it happen. But then to get people together and physically stuff a thousand bags for every single event so that you can distribute oh, them. Yeah. It's, it's a big operation. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Much so respect lo- to you. <laughs> um, thank you. I mean, and we're lucky that we're in the city. I mean, Austin is, they call it a hippie city, give or take. I'll, I'll let that slide. But it's a, city where, <laughs> it's a city where people, they gravitate towards what they really think is helping. Um, so I started Flow Code in 2017. It's only been two years, and I already have a, a large list of corporate sponsors. Like every major tech company that's in the city of Austin, 
nine times out of 10, they're donating to Flow Code. Mm. Um, and so to have that kind of support and have those relationships with those organizations has been everything to us because that's how we've stayed grounded and that's how we've, ma- we've managed to level up every year. Wow. Well, you're doing something right. You're working really hard to be able to do that. Um, I know the behind the scenes of what it takes to run a nonprofit. So good work. Congratulations. Thank you, because it is hard. (laughs) Yes, it's very, very hard. (laughs) No kidding. Um, With all the work that you're doing, I mean, you're doing a lot, but what is long term? What's the big picture impact you're hoping to have? Big picture impact. So my ultimate goal for Flow Code um, is to take over the state of Texas. Like I want Beyonce to think about, like she thinks about Texas and she thinks about going home and she thinks about nonprofits to collaborate with, like we're on her list. Um, And so what that dynamic, how we make that happen, like we started chapters in different cities in the state of Texas. Um, So we have ambassadors who are doing the exact same work that we do here in central Texas. Um, And so the ultimate goal is just to ensure that we're not just covering our local shelters, but covering all shelters within every community if we're able to get an ambassador in every city. Um, So that way we don't have to worry about period poverty being an issue in our own state. Um, So that's a a long-term goal. I know like we're, I mean, we're starting off pretty darn well, if I have to say so myself. I mean, we've donated well over 370,000 menstrual products to date. And it's only been two years. So I, I genuinely believe that we're on the right track. Um, you know, we've had organizations agree that they will fund our infrastructure. So I'll be doing slow call full time soon, mm. um, which is amazing. So I'm super excited about that. But that lets me know that the work we're doing is purposeful and mm. that there is there's a there's a there's a mission for us. Like we're, we're on a mission and there's other organizations have a vision for us. And so that's what we're going to follow. Yeah. So you could just, you could do this as a volunteer, right? And and just like your volunteers are helping you achieve the mission, you could be one of those volunteers for a chapter of, you know, of one of these other organizations out of state and just like do the chapter. Yeah. But deciding to found a nonprofit and doing the work to get to a place where you have infrastructure enough to be full-time, which means that you have to fundraise your salary plus the rest of the budget every single year. Mm-hmm. Why? Why this? I think the philanthropy aspect of it, because that's always been a part of me, um, I just knew I wanted to help other people. And so I started the nonprofit, thought it was something that I was going to do on the side, but the more I uncovered issues, the more I realized that this, like I'm exactly where I, where I'm supposed to be. I'm walking in my purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm making sure that I'm helping other people. Cause I mean, even me just thinking about three years ago, like periods is not something I would just openly talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Now I can be in the streets and people recognize me and they're asking me if I got a pad in my purse. I mean, mm. it's, it's, we're at that level. And so for me, I think I'm just right where I'm supposed to be. I, I understand that it's so much work that goes into it. There are so many nights that I don't sleep. I'm up at 3 a.m. working, but I know it's needed. Um, and that's exactly how we were able to get to where we are within such a short amount of time. So I'm okay with it because I know that it's needed within the community. Um, and it's needed for other people who may be thinking about starting nonprofits, don't know where to start. And it's like, oh, I see outside looking in on social media, 
they're doing exceptionally well. I get people reaching out all the time asking, how do I do it? And I don't mind having those open conversations because I understand what it's like to be on the other side. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest lesson you've learned on this journey? Oh, create a plan first, okay? <laughs> don't just jump into it. Let me tell you, Hurricane Harvey, oh, Hurricane Harvey, outside of the damage that it did to Houston, Texas, New Orleans, it did so much damage to my apartment. Let me just talk about how I live in Austin and I had over 500 Amazon boxes at my door. Like, I needed a plan. I didn't create a plan. I'm a great marketer. I do digital marketing all day. I can hop on social media and run campaigns all day. I didn't have a strategic plan behind it. And so one of the biggest lessons I learned at that moment was to create a structure. If you're going to run a campaign, you need to know how to manage that campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, having 200 volunteers at an event, never imagined that that would be a flow party event. But yet that's the capacity that we're moving towards every single time need to have a plan. What type of venues can we afford at this, at this, you know, moment? Free spaces are great, but we need something bigger. So mm-hmm. biggest lesson is just from the very beginning, create a plan, create a business plan, even if it's a nonprofit. So that way you have an idea of what you want your business to look like in the very beginning, rather yeah. than in the middle when you're like, oh, I'm gonna just make a couple of changes. And you realize those couple of changes require a whole lot more of you. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I'm a, I love a good plan. I can sit and write plans all day long. I love it. <laughs> I'm like, no, this is how I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I wish I was like that in the beginning. I'm like that now. Now I have structures. I have boundaries. And I'm like, this is exactly how everything is going to go. But had I had that two years ago, it was Lesson learned. I'm, I'm oh. not naturally that way either. It's a skill that I've learned over the years of starting things and yeah. getting into the weeds and, and being like, uh, I wish I had a plan. <laughs> I wish I knew what direction I was going, but yeah, that that's the biggest thing. Just make sure that you create a plan for yourself and Mm -hmm. that's how you can track your success. Absolutely. One final question. Okay. Who are the women that are inspiring you now? Oh man. I always, I mean, I always try to avoid like resonating with like celebrities, but my first instant, literally instant, like mentor in my head is Michelle Obama. And I just say that because even before reading her book, she moved with so much grace and she took an opportunity, of course, being the first lady in the White House. She didn't just let that be her title. She didn't let that define her. Mm-hmm. She created a nonprofit, like the space that she created, not just to help girls, but to help children in schools and every school to make sure that they were eating healthy. Like she, she cared about more than just what she had going on with her husband being president. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, raising beautiful daughters and just constantly advocating for us to be better. I think that's the type of influencers I'm looking forward to follow, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so Michelle Obama is always number one. And then I look at women in my community um, and there's a lot of women like, I look at like, there's a woman here in Austin. Her name is Mimi Falls. And Mimi runs a nonprofit called Measure Austin. Mimi is amazing. Like she ensures that not only we have social justice within our community, but she travels across the country educating police departments on how to use data um, to apply back with how they interact with the community and what it actually what the numbers look like 
So that way they can make sure that they're doing their parts rather than reacting or acting before um, reacting. So I, I just look at women like that who are actually doing something purposeful and that's who I know I want to follow. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds amazing. And, and I agree with you on Michelle Obama. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I would say Beyonce, but everybody loves Beyonce. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to pretend that I haven't been listening to her latest album drop all day long, because I have been. <laughs> the motivation that we all didn't know we needed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. So, Amanda, how can people get in touch with you, connect with you, and support Flow Code? Yeah, uh, so of course, Flow Code, we are all on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, um, and Facebook. Our names are is Flow Code XO, so it's literally F L O C O D E X O. And if you are looking to find me, in case you want to contact me for any reason, um, you can find me on social media as well Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, Lamanda Ballard, or simply Lamanda MB. Um, and yeah, I'm on all the platforms. Wonderful. Folks, um, this is we're gonna close here, but make sure you head over to Flow Code. And if you feel moved by this, if there's anything that you can do to support, this is an expensive operation <laughs> to be able to buy these products and then distribute them. Um, yeah. So the best thing that you can do is figure out a way to support. And if you're in Texas and you can volunteer, I'm sure that they would love that. But if you have some cash that you can send over, I know that they would love that as well. So consider putting flow code on your annual giving schedule. So consider that. Thank you for joining us, Lamanda, on the show. I'm so excited about what you're doing, and I can't wait to see you continue to grow. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us on That's What She Did podcast for another week. The best way you can support this show is by doing one of two things. Number one, hit the subscribe button if you haven't done so already. And if you have, please give it a share for any episode that you find value that you want to support. If you want to support Lamanda and Flow Code, give this a share. Maybe you can't donate right now, but you can tell other people your friends will listen to you because they love you. Thanks for your time again today, everyone. And we will catch up with you next week. Until next time, we're out.